Okay, so it's early, so we'll begin. Uh, glad to see you all in here today. Hope you had a good week. We will um, we will start with prayer. So uh, I'd like to start actually us off by reading our passage for today, and then doing a little praying. So the one another we're going to be looking at today is confessing to one another, and it comes from James chapter five. If you have your Bibles and want to look at James chapter five. We'll read verses 13 to 20. So your, your Bible might have the title, The Prayer of Faith, or something like that over this section. So James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. We will read this, and then uh, we will spend a little time in prayer for one another. So James 5, starting in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and earth bare for its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings a sinner back from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So the, the one another we're looking at today is confessing to one another. This section here that we see in James is sort of unique in the New Testament. It's, it's the one place where James, where the, Bible, where the New Testament is talking about confessing sins to one another. So we have a one another that we'll be looking at later on, I believe, about praying for one another. Uh, but it never hurts to practice that. Just like Scott mentioned in his sermon today, the, the praying for one another. So how about we start off with that, praying for one another. Uh, maybe the, the best way to do that is I'll write down some requests that you might have, and then we can open it up instead of assigning it. I'll just let whoever uh, wants to pray for those requests. So uh, do we have any requests that we can pray for?
Okay. Okay. Can you remind me of his name again? Oh, my name is to pray for any one of these or all of these and uh, we'll just spend some time together in prayer before we start here. So some, someone if you don't mind to go first and then uh, once there's a long enough pause then I'll, I'll finish up. So, Heavenly Father, thank you again for being every person in this room today. We're thankful to be under your word, to learn and, and understand how we can practice this one another today of confessing our sins. 
So we lift up to you the on the board, Lord, asking that you will remember each one of them, Father, and we're thankful that you are God who acts. So please act on, on their behalf. Please give them grace and strength and help them to navigate through these things, Lord, in a way that would please you. Thank you again. Please bless our time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So last week, we had talked about forgiving one another, and that was a, a challenging one of the one another, of course. Many, many of us have you know, different ways in which that is difficult to carry out. Uh, so if you have ongoing questions about that, you know, feel free to raise those at any point. Um, the one we're looking at today, the, the next one, really goes hand in hand with confessing to one another, or to for, forgiving one another, and that's confessing to one another. So our passage there in James chapter 5, James is talking, uh, he seems to be talking about a corporate setting right here, uh, coming together and confessing um, sins to one another. So part of what we'll navigate through is what does this look like when we're together as a body doing this, and then what does this look like for an individual basis? Uh, but James, James chapter 5 here is, is a wonderful passage right there. So it can, it can raise a lot of questions about this particular one another. I mean, what does that mean to confess to one another? Uh, should everything be confessed? If so, who should know about it? Should we stand up in church and, and tell everyone what we've done? Uh, what's the difference between a good confession and one that's not so good? So that's what we'll be taking a look at. What's it look like to confess to one another in a way that would please God? So maybe you've been in this kind of setting before. Uh, I was in a church where this happened, and just randomly someone stood up, and they started to express some of the things that they had been struggling with. Uh, and it was very, very awkward because, you know, they confessed to some things, and um, just in the whole context of it, nobody knew what to do with that. So this can be a little bit challenging if we're, Maybe just reading it at first glance, it can almost make it sound as if we should just share with share everything with everyone. Uh, so I think with you know biblically, what does this look like to do it in a wise way? That's what we want to want to figure out today. So our starting point is going to be Matthew seven, Matthew chapter seven. We referenced this earlier, and like I mentioned in here, I like I like the discussion part of it. So Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. Before we, before we dive into this more, I'm going to put this out there for your discussion. What do you think that looks like in your life to confess to one another? Think about it from the standpoint of a setting in church, like a corporate setting, to a personal individual setting. So, so from both of those areas, what's that look like in your life? What, what do you think that means to confess to one another? Start with. Uh -huh. Good. 
to show the Lord how, a little bit more how serious you are about it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. There you go. All right. So, could I have somebody, if you don't mind, uh, read verses 1 through 6, please? Matthew chapter 7. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, you will be judged. Why do you seem to suspect that it's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the law that is in your own eye? For how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You get the trip. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give the dog what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, but they trample them underfoot and turn to attack. Okay, thank you. So when it comes to confession, uh, you can actually, in some cases, buy a card, buy, buy like a confession card. And one of the ones I saw was, was a little bit humorous. It, it talked about, I want to apologize to you, and then it had a, had a long list. Um, of disclaimers. Uh, <laughs> you know, if, if, if this happened or this happened or this happened or this happened or this happened, well, I think you understand. The point being, you know, if, if I haven't checked any of those off, then, then I will apologize to you. And so, so it was a rather humorous way of, of expressing what many of us run into when it comes to uh, confessing. So one of the things that I hope you'll see the difference between is apologizing and confessing. So apologizing for something versus confessing your sin. And I think um, typically the way we would, uh, typically the way many people would approach it would be uh, thinking of it in terms of we apologize to people. And uh, I like to describe it as like uh, when your feet hit the ice, it just, you just slip. And so that word apology just seems to slip out of our mouths a lot. Oh, I apologize for that. I apologize for that. I apologize for that. And we don't really give it that much thought. And so it raises the question, I mean, is that is that what the Bible calls for, an apology? If so, when? Or does it call for something more than an apology? So we'll, we'll look into that as we get through here. But we start with Matthew chapter 7. And that would raise the question, why, when we're talking about confession, why do we start with Matthew chapter 7? What, what, what do you see that's important in here for us to know? But they've done it to me. Why, why should I have to say that? But they've done it way worse than what. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> what other thoughts do you have? What, what what truths in Matthew seven do you see that that really stick out as to why we start there? In, in spite of what somebody may have done to you, if you react, reacted incorrectly, then it doesn't give you permission to say in that you need to ask for forgiveness, you need to confess your sin. Mm -hmm. And in regard. 
regardless of how the other person responds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's challenging. Jesus always challenges us, doesn't he? Because if we're if we were writing the Bible, I don't know that we would have this part in there. I think we would modify that a little bit. <laughs> Notice the go go point out the log in your brother's eye, and then later on worry about the speck in yours. Probably how we write it. <laughs> so Jesus Jesus has a great way of bringing it back on us, doesn't he? So I know that there's a number of places we could start when it comes to confession, but I mean I like to start here in Matthew chapter seven verses one to six because it talks it talks about ourselves first, and and so the weight gets put on us. So in here, notice notice how Jesus uses the language of speck and log right there, speck and log. Uh, so he puts greater weight on who's sinning. My sin? Why? Why? Why mine? <laughs> First of all, you're judging. <laughs> <laughs> it's not our position to judge. It's God's position to judge. Okay. So there is, uh, one of the um, seminary, we found creative ways to make money, and one of them was by uh, doing these little survey things. They take a couple hours, and they have you do like, an analysis of something, and, and one of them was a mock trial. So they invited me to this, they paid pretty good, and you basically had to listen to their case before it went to court. And so I had to listen to the whole spiel, and then they brought us in the room like we were the jury, and then they were you know watching and recording it, and we had to discuss how much we were gonna award this one guy. Well, I objected, I said, I don't think there's you know enough evidence to make the claim you know that that they should even award him any money. Well, they come back in later, and the first thing the guy says to me was, oh, I've looked at your record, I would have disqualified you immediately. <laughs> and then he, he quotes to me Matthew 7, 6, or 7, 1, judge not lest that you be not judged. <laughs> so his, his assumption is that, um, that, that Christians don't make judgments at all. And if we look at verse 6, uh, Jesus is, is actually saying that there is a place for judgment. H how do you know who's a dog? How do you know who's a, a pig, a swine? So, so there is a judgment there, but what he's saying is not to make a hypocritical judgment. So you're exactly right on that. We're warned against making hypocritical judgments, wrong judgments. So there, there will be a there, there could be a place where we do need to make a judgment about. Uh, and verse six is its own discussion right there. Um, but yeah, we're we're warned to be very careful in the way that uh, we approach and treat other people right here. So Jesus talks about the speck in the law because he's putting greater emphasis on our sin as opposed to the other person's sin. And that raises the question, why? I mean, what if what they did to me objectively was a lot worse than what I did to them? I can't take care of their sin. I can only take care of them. Yeah. That's right. Because it's our, it's our sin. Yeah. We're also not much help to someone with a little splinter in their eye when we've got a big log in ours where we can't even see well enough to be helpful. Mm -hmm. um, I think that discrepancy in size is part of what Jesus is getting at. Yeah. You're, you're nitpicking at them, but you got a whole lot of stuff going on in your own life. And that's right. 
Maybe as parents we've experienced that to some degree when we're yelling at our kids because they're angry. <laughs> we kind of catch ourselves in the irony of things at times, like, oh yeah. <laughs> I think I, mean, I shared this example of um, in my earlier Christian days, uh, not, not wanting to be late to church, and, and so um, racing to, uh, <laughs> to make sure I, I beat everybody else to church so that I could look more holy. <laughs> so it was the irony later that, that struck me about that. And that's exactly what Jesus is pointing out. Um, we're not going to be able to see clearly to deal with the other person's sin until we've dealt first and foremost with our sin. Now Jesus doesn't say just ignore their sin. Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll talk later on in another one anothering about how to confront, if you call it, can call it that language, um, how to confront another person. Uh, but for today, it's, it's on our end. It's confessing to one another. So Jesus is talking about uh, the log in our own eye, and he's talking about sin in two areas here. So this is, uh, and James will also find this language too. Jesus is talking about that we are to, to look at, to confess to the other person um, sins of omission and then sins of commission. Once again, don't necessarily go by spelling. You understand those the words, so there's a lot of letters in those. <laughs> I think that's right, though. Anyway, what are, what are sins of, let's start first with the easy one. What are sins of commission? So Jesus is, uh, just the context, then I'll throw out the question. Jesus is saying, uh, look at the log in your own eye. Okay, so take the log out of your own eye. Right, so he's talking about in two areas. We see this in James as well, sins of commission. So what are those kind of sins? Good. Thank you, man. Yep, so doing, doing uh, wrong things. And what about then sins of omission? Because I think this, this category tends to be neglected. We're pretty good about identifying or at least recognizing this area, but, uh, but we often fail in this area, sins of omission. So what are some sins of What is a sin of omission? There you go. I can you give an example of that? You're supposed to confess to one another. If you don't confess to one another. Yeah. Good. Mm -hmm. The so, uh, first American had two guys who were pulling it. Yeah. Good. So this will really stretch you as you think about confession. It'll really stretch you because you'll not only be thinking of, Lord, as I'm inspecting myself, have I done anything that was wrong? But did I fail to do what was right? Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, okay. So it changes the way we confess by thinking of those two categories right there. Uh, so we want to begin with ourselves. That's what Matthew 7 is pointing out. And uh, Dave Harvey, um, he has got, he's got this really helpful line in his book, When Sinners Say I Do. And he says, before we inspect, we should suspect. Before we inspect, we should suspect. So what he means by that is, as we look at ourselves, as we come to 
ask the Lord, Lord, show me uh, the sins in my life that I need to confess, we should first start with suspecting ourselves. And that's not probably not typically something we would do. We would probably come to the table thinking, I'm decently good. You know, I do, do some things here and there, you know, but, but my operating status is pretty good, right? So inspect my, you know, suspect myself. No, I probably wouldn't do that. I'm sure my motives were right. I'm sure my desires were right. There were probably some things that leaked out that weren't right. But, but we view ourselves pretty good, right? But really the way the Bible frames it, and I know that we're saved. I know that we have new hearts. We have a new nature. Those things are all true. But still... I think it's more helpful to suspect ourselves before we inspect ourselves. So I bet there were some desires that were wrong in the way I handled that and the things that I did. I bet some of my motives weren't right. I bet that my attitude probably wasn't going to be right. I just, I'm sure there were some things in my life that weren't where the Lord needed them to be or wanted them to be going into all this. And, and I want to find out where those are at because that's helpful to me. I want to be right with Jesus here. So we do need to inspect ourselves, but we should first suspect ourselves. Let's take a look. If you have your Bibles, um, take a look at uh, Psalm 2511. And here in Psalm 2511, David words things a little differently than we probably would. So can I get somebody to read verse 11, please? For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Okay. How would we probably write that? Or how, how would we probably think? I know we, might, we not, might not say that like that, but but how would we probably reword that psalm if we're just being honest? Verse 11. That my iniquity is not that great. <laughs> Forgive my sin, even though there's not much. <laughs> <laughs> For my name's sake, O Lord, pardon my sin, for it is small. Yeah, I think we would probably approach it like that. It's not really about the Lord. It's about my name. It's not that bad compared to the other person's. So Jesus calls us to, to give greater weight to our sin than theirs. And, and like you've mentioned, um, dealing with our sin first enables and helps us to better deal with uh, those who have sinned against us. So confession of sin begins with repentance. And again, there's... Uh, you know, you, you, don't, you could word it differently. We could approach it a little bit differently. We could say that it starts with identifying your sin and then moving on to repentance. That's fine, too. Um, I'm starting with repentance. Then we'll look at identifying your sin. Either way. Uh, but certainly repentance is part of confession. Repentance and confession go hand in hand, as we'll see. So let's talk about uh, repentance here. Can anyone help, help us understand what is biblical repentance? So you mentioned the, the change of direction. 
presumptuous to say, well, let's stop that. But what are we doing, actually doing, to change that direction? Okay, I like that. So we have, uh, maybe what you're saying is, is putting off, putting on. So you've, you've hit on that. Um, we're turning away as another way to think about that change. Uh, turning away from our sin. And if we only stop there, we wouldn't have repentance. Because imagine it like this, you know, after church, uh, you jump on the interstate and you want to go to Indianapolis, and so that's east, but you take uh, 74 west, and you, you, you realize after you're driving, I'm going in the wrong direction. I'm not going to get to Indianapolis because I'm going west. So you stop the car. Well, if you just stop the car, you haven't changed yet. You haven't turned yet. So it has to be accompanied by... And, th and this, that's the part that most people miss, and a turning to Christ. Because we can turn away from our sin, but as we'll see, if we're not actually turning to Christ, it's not repentance. You can, you can turn away from your sin to a lot of different things. You can turn away from your sin to another sin. So just, just because you're not doing something anymore doesn't mean you're repentant. It has to be a turning to Christ. Now, repentance is all throughout the Bible. Uh, John the Baptist began his ministry with a call for repentance there in Matthew 3, verses 1 and 2. Uh, you can just reference these verses. We won't look them up for the sake of time. Jesus even, called, even started with a call of repentance. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand in Matthew 4, 17 to 18. Uh, one of the big texts is in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's take a look at that. 2 Corinthians 7. I'm sure you're... Familiar with that one. Verses 9 to 11. If we could have someone read that, please. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Oh, wait, sorry, that's wrong. Yeah, second second Corinthians seven. Oh, okay. Sorry. Okay, thank you. So there in that text, 
you have this distinction between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. And as we think about repentance, it's important to know that distinction right there. So repentance is not penance. Penance is a worldly sorrow. It's, it's paying back. It's not that kind that, that leads to life. In fact, it leads to death. So it raised the question, how do you know what kind of uh, repentance you have? What kind of sorrow do you have? Is it godly sorrow or worldly sorrow? Uh, well, one thing about godly sorrow is there's fruit that comes with it. So if you remember John the Baptist, he tells people to bear forth fruits worthy of, or in keeping with repentance. Uh, in Isaiah 1, verses 16 and 17... Um, there's nine activities related to repentance. So let's take a look at Isaiah 1, 16 and 17. Isaiah 1, 16 and 17, he says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. So there's definitely activities, there's definitely fruits that comes from repentance. And so there in the context of Isaiah, um, God calling his people to repentance, this would be some of the fruit of that, right? This is, this is how they would demonstrate, show evidence of their repentance through these things right here. We could look uh, at a number of places about the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. I think two of the prime examples, though, would be Judas and Peter. Judas Iscariot, if you remember him, and then Peter. So can somebody fill us in? What, what's the difference between the type of sorrow that Judas has versus the type of sorrow that Peter has? And we're talking about the context of the betrayal. Afterwards, both of them are very emotional. They're, they're weeping, they're crying. But what's the difference between those two types of sorrow? Because if you're looking at it from an outward appearance, you might think, well, they're both repentant. They both seem pretty distraught over everything, but we know that's not the case. So can you tell me what the difference is? Um, maybe, maybe that's a, a little bit different discussion that's in how, okay. as far as the typo. It's a good question. Okay. Um, certainly Peter lied about it, so there would have, I mean, I think it would have been both, both of those times in both of their, uh, it's true that there was sins of omission and commission that they both did. It seems like, that. to me it seems like one would be more of a selfish way of, Having sorrow because something's now now something's happened to me. It's selfish. Mm -hmm. Whereas the other is more of a true humility because I did it against Christ. 
So it, it shows up in their response. Uh, Judas was driven to despair, that hopelessness uh, killing himself. So we never turned to Christ for forgiveness. Peter was driven to Christ. We see that um, as the story progresses with Peter. So just, just because it looks like repentance doesn't always mean that it is repentance. Uh, penance is different than repentance right there. We could go through a number of examples in the Bible. You have uh, Jacob and Esau. You have uh, you know Judas and Esau. Those those would show or Saul. Those would show those would be examples of what repentance is not. Those are examples of worldly sorrow. Uh, you have David though in the context of like say Psalm 51. If you read that Psalm, a wonderful Psalm of repentance. Uh, David doesn't shift his blame. Uh, he takes full responsibility, so that's just a great psalm to study when, when we want to understand what repentance is. So let's then move from repentance. Are there any, any questions about repentance? Any other thoughts or questions on that? Okay, not seeing any. We'll move then into what comes next. So identifying the sin. Identifying your sin. Uh, one of the well-known passages for this would be Psalm 139, 23 and 24. <clears throat> Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So that wonderful prayer right there, that wonderful request for God to search our hearts and to reveal to us uh, anything in there that would need changing. We have a few more passages, uh, Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. So places in Scripture teach us to examine ourselves, to look inward, to identify that sin. But what do you do if you can't do that? What, what do you do if, if you just don't know? I mean, and again, I'm assuming that we're praying, that we're asking God to search us. I'm assuming all those things. But what if, just say you had a you know, situation with somebody else and you're really trying to look in to see what that log is in your own eyes and you just don't know? What do you do? Okay. Yeah. 
Anyone think of a verse that uh, that might point us to that direction? Verse or passage or anything? Proverbs uh, 27, verses 5 and 6. That's very helpful. Very helpful passage right there. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. It says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So, you're exactly right. We ask other people to help. I'm sure if you went to your spouse or someone close in your life, they would be more than willing to come up with some ways uh, or to reveal some ways in which, hey, you've got some, some things that you, you need to address here, right? So asking asking others is, uh, is important with that. Confession of sin involves or requires humility. There's a difference between trying to get out of the consequences and admitting how we've offended God. Uh, true confession, like we've talked about, doesn't minimize sin. It doesn't seek an avenue of easy escape. It magnifies God's name. It appeals to God for the grounds of forgiveness. And it agrees with God on the nature of sin, just like we looked at in Psalm 25:11. So Thomas Watson, uh, he's a Puritan. He's has some very helpful thoughts on what confession should look like. Uh, before, before we get to him, let's take a look in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 to 10. Because one of the one of the questions we're wrestling with is. What is confession? What what is confession? So we'll read the verse and then I'll throw that question out there for discussion. What is confession? We're, we're primarily focused on verse 9 right here, but the context is 8 through 10. First John chapter 1. So not the gospel of John, uh, but if you le read later, John writes three letters. And uh, one John, if you see a one in front of it, you're in the right place. Not a few, not a three, but a one. Chapter one, uh, jumping in verse eight. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So that, that right there shows us that we should suspect ourselves. I think that gives some evidence to the way that we should approach it. If we, if we come into it thinking we have no sin, I mean, it could be true. But I think we should suspect ourselves. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So let's throw that out there for discussion. Verse 9 right here. What's that mean to confess our sins? 
acknowledging to others that we are weak and we have failed and that we need Jesus. Okay. Is that, that part of that that's acknowledgement? Also, uh, other other people in there. To others. What else is it involved with confession? questions to, if you teach the younger children or your kids, they're, they're going to ask you at some point is, well, if God knows everything, then why do we need to confess our sins to him? verse 9, confess, it's a, it's a compound word. It means, um, if, you, if you break it down, it means to, uh, to, to say the same thing. Okay, so it's hamu geu, uh, hamu meaning the same, and logeu meaning to say, speaker to say. So it's to say the same thing. So confession about our sin, God, God knows it. We're not telling God anything new. So when we're confessing our sins, we're not giving God new information, new revelation. We're agreeing with God. So confession is agreeing with God. Agreeing what? That it was wrong? That it was against him? That it was hurtful to others? Those, those types of things. So I'm, I'm hoping that we can see confession as not just giving information, but agreement. Because you can confess without agreeing, right? Our kids do it. We probably do it at times. Yeah, I did that. But am I agreeing it's wrong? Well, no, not necessarily. I'm just agreeing that it happened, right? So without agreement on God's terms, not my terms, on God's terms, it's not confession. And the beauty of that is there's forgiveness that comes when we do that. But if we fail to do that, if we're just agreeing on our terms, we can't hold out to that promise of forgiveness right there. Uh, so for the sake of time, um, I'll just read through Watson's uh, things, and then I want to spend the, the remainder focusing on the seven A's of confession. So uh, Watson says this, confession must be voluntary. It's, there's a difference between if you're, uh, you're, you're like forcing someone to confess versus they are volunteering it. Confession must be with, uh, with a deep resentment of sin. So there should be a deep resentment of sin in that confession. It must be sincere. In true confession, a man particularizes, long word, particularizes his sin. 
A true penitent confesses sin in the fountain, meaning, meaning that he refuses to blame other people. Sin is to be confessed with all its circumstances and aggravations. In confession, we must so charge ourselves as to clear God. And then finally, we must confess with a resolution not to act in them ever again. Now, there's a lot to that, so we'll break this down. We'll keep it straight and simple here. So on your handout, you have those seven A's. Some of you, I'm sure, have, are familiar with this, but it's always good to review that. to remember that to just remember seven A's. So I, I really want to stress that a good confession is not following some kind of a checklist. It's not um, did I get all seven of these down. If I did, that's a great confession. That's not necessarily true. Just like you mentioned, Brent, the attitude of confession is what really matters. So Saul could have checked the list in his confession. Not really, but let's just hypothetically say he did. But it, but it wasn't a true confession. God looks at the spirit of that. Now, there's a difference between uh, a good confession and just a really poor confession. And, and all of you probably have either given something like this or heard something like this. Uh, ben, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I uh, hurt you last week. Uh, I was just really tired, and um, I had a lot going on in my life. So if I did anything that, that upset you, uh, maybe you should forgive me. So that's like a what? D? D? <laughs> I mean, we're failing that thing, right? Because <laughs> what, was, what was it filled with? Like, hypothetically. I mean, if I did something? So let's look through these one at a time right now. So the A would be to address everyone involved. So everyone that was impacted by your sin, you should confess to. Who is always involved? God. Yep. We take this for granted, but not David. That's where you have Psalm 51. If you look at in there, he, he goes straight to God. So if you're, I don't know, if your kids were involved, confess to your kids. If, if there were other people involved, confess to them, too. So address everyone involved right there, especially God. Uh, don't include others who weren't involved. Um, so if you look at Matthew 18, as we, as we kind of lay out that, that circle right there, we're, we're dealing with the people involved with it. So it can be unhelpful to include other people who weren't in, involved with that. Uh, and I could give some examples of this if that would be helpful. Um, so uh, let me let me think of one. Uh, if you're including someone who wasn't involved, what that can lead to is gossip and a challenge for them not to have wrong thoughts. So if they aren't even aware that anything has happened, uh, let's just say you've um, done something to somebody else, okay? And you two are the only two that know about it. And then you're going and yet you haven't talked to them. You're going and bringing in somebody else. 
Well, now you've brought another person into it that wasn't involved and maybe didn't even need to be involved. And that can create its own problems. So if you look at Matthew 18, Jesus is saying, keep the circle small. Start with the people impacted by your sin. And if there's repentance, then it can end. If not, uh, then, then the circle gets expanded. In a public setting, um, it's not quite like that because more people are involved. But the point being is everybody involved that in your sin, you should confess to it. And confessing sin doesn't always mean telling every detail of the sin. That's not always helpful for people. Okay. Second, avoid keywords like if, but, or maybe. So in, in your confession, if you're saying things like this, if I've sinned against you, or I realize that I've done wrong against you, but well, what, if, what have you done like that? By using these words. Uh huh. So an excuse. Uh huh. What else? Yeah. Yep. That blame shifting. Minimize. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's a hypothetical confession if I did something to you. So if you don't know, what should you do? Like Gaetano, if I don't know if I've sinned against you, instead of saying if I've sinned against you, what should I what should I do instead? Josh, Josh I think I have sinned against you. Can you help me tell me what it is? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, good, good. So so asking follow-up questions, because if you haven't done it, then why are you confessing it? God doesn't call us to confess something we haven't done, just to just because we want to please somebody. We're not to do that. And if we've really done it, then there shouldn't be any hypoth anything hypothetical about it. We should actually confess it. So if you don't know, just ask for further questions, follow-up, try to, try to determine that or not. Uh, third, admit specifically. There's a, a world of difference between saying something like this to a person, confessing like this to a person. Uh, I, I want to confess my sin. Um, I haven't been a good enough Christian. As compared to, listen, I've, I've uh, lied to you a lot. I've uh, hurt you a lot in my words. I've um, said things behind your back that weren't right. You see the difference between the two? One of them is so general, it's 30,000 feet. The other one's very specific, or the rubber hits the road. I mean, if, if somebody's listening to this uh, that's so general, they're going to conclude that you probably haven't put much time or thought into it. It's just too general. And we don't sin in general ways. We sin very specifically. So we want to confess our sin very specifically. So make sure you include in here not only your actions, what was mentioned before, your attitudes. So I was bitter toward you, I was resentful toward you, I was unloving toward you. Not just actions, but also attitudes. Uh, fourth, acknowledge the hurt.
So many times, um, a conf- many times our confessions don't do a lot of good because we don't acknowledge the way that it, that sin has hurt the other person. We want to skip right over that. So what does it look like to, what do you think it looks like to acknowledge the hurt in a confession? Anybody give me an example of that? So you're, you're, it shows that you're putting more time into it. You're putting thought into it. You're putting yourself in their shoes to think about how that sin has impacted them. Yep. Uh, then accept the consequences. Okay. So we talked about that. Uh, that ties into last week. But... If we are confessing our sin, there's going to be an accepting of those consequences. It's not just going to be, um, oh, you need to you need to just forget about it, make sure there's no consequences. No, there needs to be the realization that there, there could and, and will be, in some cases, consequences with that, and being willing to accept those. Uh, number six, alter your behavior. Or at least explain your plan to do that to the person. So alter meaning change. They're going to be wondering, I mean, what? so you're confessing it, you're agreeing that it's wrong, what are you going to do about it going forward right here? So explaining what that's going to look like in your life. If you're confessing anger toward the person, and I'm going to deal with it uh, by God's grace, um, I'm going to identify those desires and the, the way that, that it was carried out wrongly. Um, I'm going to get some accountability in it. I'm going to get some counseling in it. Or uh, this this is the, the, my plan for changing that. And then finally, what do you think the last thing is? There's one thing we haven't done yet. There you go. It may seem like a technical detail that, that may seem um, assumed, but make sure, making sure you specifically ask them, will you forgive me? Depending on the nature of sin, of the sin, uh, you, you want to be considerate of the, of the time. So if you've sinned against the person in a very grievous way, you wouldn't necessarily expect them to instantly say, yes, I forgive you. Now, if it's relatively small, uh, there should be a quick um, extension of forgiveness. What if the other person doesn't say that they forgive you? What do you do then? That's maybe a discussion for another time, but in the meantime, wait. Uh, Pray. Allow some time to go by, and then revisiting that. If they refuse to extend forgiveness, we can go back to last week's lesson. Okay, so there's that's back on them now. So my encouragement would, would be um, I can pretty much guarantee, I don't guarantee too much, don't guarantee you've learned anything today, but I can guarantee that in this week you are going to sin against someone. Okay? In, this, in the next seven days you will sin against someone. 
So my, my, my encouragement for you, my challenge to you would be utilize the seven A's. We're not talking about making it a formula. It's not like you have to write it, you know, I think it's, I always encourage people to write this down, look at your A's, but don't read it line for line. Don't, don't make it like that, unless it's something really complicated and involved. But practice it a few times, and then it's going to be more helpful to you to have these things involved in them. So my, my challenge to you would be this week, let's put this into practice. And your confession of, of sin to someone, incorporate these A's in there. Okay, so we're out of time. Uh, bring back your thoughts or questions um, from this lesson for next week. And uh, we'll dive next time into another one another. Thank you. Yeah.